Let's turn in God's Word this evening to the book of Ephesians, the letter of Paul to the church at Ephesus, the work of the Holy Spirit to the church of all ages. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be re- begin reading at verse 17 and reading through the end of the chapter. The consequence, the outcome, the outflow, the work of grace in our hearts and in our lives. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind. To one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this portion of your word that explains to us that we should be friendly with everyone and have love for everyone. We ask that you will be with Pastor Bob as he talks on this word, that the words may be properly in his mind. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. Amen. As we deal with this subject tonight, the subject of unconditional kindness, the you in the other tulip, that corresponds to the unconditional election that we as Reformed believers confess in terms of our doctrine, in terms of our life, in terms of our living, we are to be those who practice unconditional kindness. 
as we reflect upon that topic tonight, three things. One, the being of God. Secondly, the responsibility of the believers. And thirdly, that this is the pulse of the Reformation. The writer who was writing in regards to these and giving us kind of uh, snippets and bullet points made the point that of all Christians, of all Christians, it is the Calvinist, it is the Reformed believer who should be the kindest of all. There should be no such thing as a mean Calvinist. In fact, there contradictory terms, as he went on to explain. You see, it is the reform believer who really understands grace. And if you understand grace, then you understand kindness. So let's work through that this evening. First of all, as we think about the being of God, God himself acts kindly towards us. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It's on the other side of the sermon outline. I wrote out a few of these scriptures for you. It's the last one there. Listen to how it is phrased here in Titus. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we stop and reflect upon that passage, if we think about the act of God in saving us, the act of God in reaching out, And granting to us salvation, the question is, what is the basis? What is the reason that God acts this way? Why does God take this step? Here in Titus, the answer is these two things. The goodness of God and the loving kindness of God. It's interesting in Scripture how often those two terms go together. Loving kindness. As if kindness is the reflection of love and love is the basis of all that is kind. In talking about our salvation, the Holy Spirit here is saying it is rooted in in the very core, in the being of God, in the fact that God is good, He desires to do good, He creates that which is good, He seeks to accomplish that which is good, you are saved because He is a good God. But we are also saved because God is loving, yes, but, but that is sort of the basis It's the fact that in his love, he acts kindly towards us. Be kind to one another. Why? Because this is what we have been shown by God. God has demonstrated his love 
for us in that God has acted with kindness towards us. God has not acted towards us in meanness. God has not spoken meanly towards us. He has spoken kindly. He has acted in kindness towards us. Or if we were to go to Luke chapter 6, verse 35, it's the first passage listed there. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind, kind. Look at what the rest of the statement is. He is kind to those who love him. He is kind to the ones who live holy and pure lives. We, we, we might even want to get out our pens and say, I think, I think we need to edit this. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God's kindness as a pattern for you and I extends to the ungrateful and evil. And are we not glad for that? For Jesus didn't come to save the righteous, but sinners, the evil, you and I. See, we might be tempted to say, well, you know, we should be kind, but <laughs> only towards Christians. Well, if God had shown kindness only to believers, guess what? Nobody would be saved. There wouldn't be any of us to be called believers if it were not for the kindness of God being extended to the ungrateful and to the evil. While we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. See, this is the very being of God. But you see, that very being of God, as I've already alluded to, finds itself in the love of God, or this kindness finds itself in the basis of God's love. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This is God's love. He acts kindly towards you and I to lead us to repent. What was Jesus doing this morning in Mark chapter 1 in his first sermon? Was Jesus by proclaiming the gospel? Was Jesus by heralding the good news? Was Jesus by shouting out? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Is that mean? Was that mean of Christ to shout that out, to proclaim it? This was, 
This was kindness. This was the kindness of God, the love of God poured out. To sinners like you and I. Is the cross mean of God? Is it a mean thing that God took his own son, nailed him to a cross? Or is that the kindest act of love that one could ever exemplify? That a man lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, Jesus said. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is kind. Love is kind. That's what true love is. Love is kind. But we have to back up the cart. What is love? God is love. That's what the scriptures tell us. God is love. If God is love and if love is kind, what is God? God is kind. The basis of God's kindness is his love because it is in the very being and fabric of God himself. You're still in Ephesians chapter 4. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment. Start at verse 4 with me. After talking about our disobedience, after talking about the fact that we are children of wrath, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and being raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Even grace is the display of God's kindness. And God promises to continue to show his kindness towards us even in the coming ages of glory. Because this is the very being of God. And you see, by the time we turn to Ephesians chapter 4 then, what we're reading here is this is the will of God. And we could recount many, many passages, other passages that tell us to be kind. Well, we'll we'll leave it sufficient to simply say, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. This is God's will. God desires us to be kind. Because kindness is not the way in which the world operates. Kindness is not the way in which the unbeliever operates. Kindness is not the way in which the pagan operates. Now, they may do things that look kindly, but it's not out of the same basis. Paul is urging us, as those who know the love of God, 
we should know the grace of God. And in knowing the love and grace of God, we should be kind to one another. But let's back up the train even further and get on to our second point. The responsibility, you see, of the believer. Why do we arrive at Ephesians 4.32? How do we get there? What has Paul laid down in the book of Ephesians that gets us there? First, Paul lays down this principle. Election. That's what chapter 1 is all about, right? Okay? Chapter 1, this doctrinal dissertation. Beautiful, beautiful testimony of the fact that we were predestined as adoption as sons before the foundations of the world. He chose us in Christ. The great heralding doctrine of those of us who are reformed. Election. Do you know what election ought to do? It ought to cause us to be kind. Because before you and I were even formed, before we were even that thought in our parents' minds, before even the foundations of the world, before God said, let there be light, God had already chosen you. An act of kindness on the part of God. Why should I be kind? Why why should I? See, if we approach Ephesians 4.32 and say, why should I be kind? Because of God's election. That's why we'll go back to the beginning. That's why the writer was stating the fact that of all people in this world, of all those in the world. I mean, how many many religious groups really believe in the doctrine of election? How many people in this world, how many faiths, even within Protestantism, how many of them really acknowledge We believe in the election of God as stated in God's word. Boy, that that narrows it way down. Who does it end up being? It ends up being those of us of the Reformed faith. We herald the sovereignty of God in our salvation. That's why of all people, of all religious groups, We who confess this glorious, beautiful doctrine of God's sovereign election, where we know and have experienced the kindness of God without measure, ought to be the people who display that kindness to the world around us. Not just to our holy huddle. Where did Paul go from Ephesians chapter 1? He goes to Ephesians chapter 2. What's in Ephesians chapter 2? Grace. 
grace through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So here we are. We're people who have been elected, predestined before the foundation of the world. We're people who have received God's unmerited favor, God's grace. Not because we've earned it. Not because we've merited it. Not because we've racked up enough holiness points in our life. Not because we've said enough prayers. Not because we've read through the scriptures this amount of times. Not because we don't do this and we don't do that. We are saved by grace through faith alone. The herald, the announcement of the Protestant Reformation. Why should I be kind? Why should I? Why, why should I be an Ephesians 4.32 person? Because I'm not an Arminian who thinks that in some way, shape, or form, I have something to do with my own salvation. God gets some of the credit, but I get some too. I deserve this. I willed myself. I convicted my own soul. To be a believer? No. Not because certainly I have done enough holy acts to get my way in. We're in this group of people who say, I do not deserve God's grace. We sing out amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Why should I be kind? Because of grace. Because we understand the depth of that grace. We understand how deep God plunged. We understand that he took you and I totally depraved as we were. Who were incapable of saving ourselves. Who are dead in our trespasses in sin. God reached down in kindness to us and lifted us out of the mire and set us upon the rock of Christ. Why should I be kind? Because we of all people understand the grace of God. Where does Paul go from there? From there, Paul goes to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's what's happening in Ephesians. That's where we are in chapter 4. The awesome transformational work of the Spirit of God that he has given as a gift to convict us of sin, to turn us to Christ. And then he doesn't leave but he indwells us as a believer. Why should I be kind? Because we believe that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within us. That we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And we understand the glorious truth of Galatians 5. That the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. 
that one of the ways in which the Spirit shows Himself is the fact of kindness. Now, folks, you see, there are many religious groups. There are many Protestant groups. There are many believers who only start there. They only start at the tail end of this. They only start at Galatians. Why should I be kind? Because the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Huh. And right they are. True they are. Thank God they're there. But you and I have such a treasure trove, such a mine full of precious jewels because we understand that that gift of the Holy Spirit is out of the grace of God based upon the election of God. Oh, how deep that mind goes. So when we turn and say, be kind, Absolutely. You shouldn't even have to tell us, Paul. How could we not but be kind? Understanding the election and grace and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But you see, we're not in glory yet, are we? We still deal with this struggle besetting sin. That doesn't take away the responsibility we have here. The responsibility of unconditional kindness. See, because that's what we believe doctrinally, isn't it? We believe that God's election was unconditional. God's kindness. See, that's what election is. Election is God's kindness. And it was unconditional. He didn't say, based upon the color of your skin, based upon the language you speak, based upon your ethnic background, based upon your social economic status, based upon your ex-educational background, based upon whether you're in poverty or out of poverty based upon whether you live in the United States or out of the United States. God's election is unconditional. His kindness has no set criteria. And therefore, the kindness that we are called to hear in Ephesians 4 is a Kindness that is unconditional. I'm sure most of you in the back of your mind are kind of thinking about that, that bumper sticker, you know, commit random acts of kindness. And I know the, the basis from which it comes and it's sort of like, mm, don't like the bumper sticker. But you know, when I think about it, that's what I ought to be doing. My acts of kindness ought to be random in the sense of I'm not setting up some sort of barrier. I'm not setting up some sort of criteria. But the acts of kindness 
are to be unconditional. Where you see this is the pulse of the Reformation. It's not the heart. A pulse is not the heart. A pulse is simply the sign that the heart is beating. Kindness is the sign that the heart is beating. The heart of grace, the heart of faith. Is beating. And kindness is the display. Oh, yeah, you're alive. Your heart's beating at this many beats per minute. If my heart were beating at one beat per minute, we might be in a little bit of trouble right here. I have to ask myself, how many acts of kindness do I do a day? How often does my heart beat? How often does my faith live? How often is my faith God's grace exemplified in my life. You see, in the Catholic Church, this was left to special orders. This was left to special groups. Oh, you're the Franciscans. Oh, you're the one who helped the poor. You do those acts of kindness. That's right. It wasn't for the church to do. It was for that special order to do. You took those special vows to do those acts of kindness towards others. Or you had to be a special person. You had to be, you know, somebody who was going to be a saint. You had to be a Saint Francis. You had to be a Mother Teresa. Notice how they stand out. Notice how in that Catholic faith, names stand out. But when the Protestant faith, we don't do that. Why? Because it's not for a special group of people. It's not like, oh, this is the kindness group. The kindness group will meet 7.30 Tuesday night to figure out acts of kindness that they will do. Because it's not for a special group. What the Reformation brought back was an office, an office that had been lost in the Catholic Church. And that office was the office of believer, where it was the responsibility of every believer of the Church of Jesus Christ to beat with the heart of faith, to show forth in acts of kindness. Throughout the New Testament, we read over and over and over again of the kindness of the church the kindness of those who were part of the church. Not named, not mentioned often. Why? Because this is what the church does. And why does the church do it? Because every believer who is a part of the body of Christ is involved in this. Each one of us is called to the duty 
to the responsibility. But we should not even see it as a duty. We should not even see it as a command. It ought to simply be the response of grace and of election and of the work of the Holy Spirit. We should be those who are transformed to be kind to one another. Was that which took place earlier in this week an act of kindness? Is sending a mail bomb an act of kindness? No. Is taking an assault rifle and pistols into a synagogue and killing people because they are of a different faith and you don't like their viewpoint an act of kindness? No. That's not kindness. That's the world. Kindness is bringing them Christ. And we could spend $50,000 spending it and sending it to Asia or to Europe or to Africa or South America or Central America. But if we, each of us here, every single individual here, is not kind, unconditionally. Then whatever we spend, whatever we give, does not show forth life. It shows deadness. So I charge you, as I charge myself, commit, not random acts of kindness, commit acts of kindness. Just commit it. Because this shows forth life, the life of Christ living and beating within us. This is the gift that the Reformation brought us as well. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us the king of great authority, of great power took a towel and washed feet. Even the feet of Judas. Oh, Father, may our faith live as we sang of earlier deeds of love and kindness to a hungry, thirsty world for Christ. Do 
Jesus' name we pray and God's people say, Amen.